Welcome to the PBL Simplified Podcast, where we believe that you can teach the way you've always wanted to teach and you can lead the way you've always wanted to lead with vision and power and integrity and trust. And when you do that, schools are going to be a better place. Your learners are going to go from passive to empowered. And overall, we believe the world will be a better place. So our goal is to have 51% of schools using project-based learning by 2051. We call it 51 by 51, and it gets us fired up. I am your host, Ryan Stoyer, and I'm excited to be on the mic again with you today in February. And I don't know when you're listening to this exactly, but you know that February is a tough month in schools. Uh, spring break seems a little too far away. You're, you're in the, the groove from winter break, and it's just a tough month. So we've taken February and we've gone into inquiry. So if you listen to the first podcast episode, the one before this, the first one of February, I talked about Trevor McKenzie's book, Inquiry Mindset. And you're going to find out that we love it here at Magnify Learning, a great book. If you're using project-based learning, you are in the inquiry pool somewhere. So you should go back to that episode and check it out. You can also, this next episode is going to come next week. Make sure you subscribe so you can get that one. We're also talking about inquiry. Today, uh, we've got a, an interesting guest. Uh, Steve Hafner is an illusionist. Mind performance strategist is one of his titles. Uh, so he's a keynote speaker. He'd be a great one to have come in and, and work with your staff or maybe at a district level uh, to bring some motivation and also a bit of curiosity. So when you can have a magician mentalist person in, I'm just like, inquiry month? Like that seems to make sense, right? That gets us leaning in and asking questions and wondering about things. So we'll have Steve on today. Before we do that though, you've heard me mention now, if you're an, uh, a listener that is on consistently, the pblshare.com. You can go to pblshare.com. And we've always had where you can submit a question, but we added the share because we want you to add some wins, right? We want to be able to share wins on the podcast. So today's PBL share is a win story, right? Well, I want to share what other schools are doing around the country so you can be inspired and realize that you can do this too. Every story that we're going to highlight uh, in the coming months and over the years are, are going to be schools that started just like you did. They're maybe traditional and they're like, hey, wait a minute, we're not serving our students the best way we could. Let's turn some dials and see if we can you know, ramp this up. And we're all passionate about this work and we want to find ways to serve our learners better. And this is a great example of that. So Rosa Parks Elementary School in Indianapolis, Indiana is doing some amazing work and their leadership is on board. They're trying to figure out like, how do we navigate this well? Like they've been a traditional school in the past and they're they want to make some tweaks they can serve their learners best. So their principal, Matt Bush, is he's been through design days with us and he's thinking differently. And what he's doing is trying to look at his staff who is filled with energetic, passionate teachers that want to do amazing things for learners, right? And trying to figure out how do you balance personalities and gifts and talents and move towards project-based learning, but also very wisely, like not just dropping the hammer and say, we are a PBL school now, right? Like that doesn't always work for your culture. So he's figuring out ways to do this. And I think this is a great way to do it. Uh, it's to have amazing stories to share, right? You can share it within your school. You can share it within your district. And some of this stuff, I'm just going to tell you the story because you can just see it come full circle. I'm not sure you could plan it, but I think when you're moving in the right direction with passion and joy and integrity, that these kind of things happen. So Rosa Parks did this PBL unit where they reached out to a local homeless shelter and their kids created these lunch bags. 
And they didn't just like give brown bag and say, here you go. Like they put some motivational sayings on there. They made some drawings, right? Like they added some flair to it to say, hey, this is personal and we care about you. Which if you've ever been in like a homeless ministry, that's almost more important than the actual lunch, right? So the learners are learning about, you know, what food insecurity can look like. And people in the homeless shelter are are understanding that there are people out there thinking for them and rooting for them and encouraging them. So they do this PBL unit and it's like, wow, this is great. This is amazing. Like we're changing lives. And then they come back to the homeless shelter, you know, months later and they're taking a tour. Because again, just being exposed to some other things in the city can really start to open up the eyes of your learners. So they're doing this and a woman in the homeless shelter says, oh, where are you guys from? And they say, well, Rosa Parks Elementary. And and boom, like instantly, like she starts to get emotional. And she starts to tell the story to the kids of how she received one of those bagged lunches that they had made. They She had seen the encouraging note that was on there and she was headed to a job and she didn't have lunch to take with her. And she was able to take this bagged lunch that came from these elementary students and it just really, really affected her. And now she gets to tell this story back and she's, just, she's so thankful. She's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And she gets to tell this story about how impactful it was for her, like how neat for these learners to hear that, except that it goes a little deeper because the girl that actually made the bag for this woman was there. So here's this learner that went through a PBL unit, standards-based, doing school, if you will. She gets to see the woman that she was encouraging and serving, and she gets to see the impact that this work that started in her school has now rippled out into someone's life and changed their life. That's why we do this work, folks. So I mean, there's so many different connections that we can make. Uh, and maybe we should have them come on the podcast to make it a full PBL showcase. But I want you to see a couple of really big pillars here. One, administration was open to these ideas, right? Like the teachers come and say, hey, we've got this idea. You know, Do you think we can make it work? And the principal's like, yes, how do we make this work, right? So he becomes part of the planner, the coach uh, that's helping these teachers be excited and try something new and their learners get excited. And now through a standards-based unit, these learners get to see that they are in fact changing lives. Like they're changing little parts of their world. It's not just language of teachers, it's happening. And when that happens, your learners are changed. They're different. They're no longer passive. They become engaged and they want to continue this work. So when I say share something on PBL Share, this is what we're talking about. Like there are more of you doing these amazing things. You're seeing the connections happening with the work that we're starting in schools. We're starting standards-based. It moves to employability skills, but ultimately it's moving towards change. And when our learners are the change agents, it's literally changing their lives, changing the opportunities, letting them figure out who they are and where, what their place is in the world. So please go to pblshare.com. Again, you can ask a question there. There's a button for that. There's also a place to share your win. And yes, you do want to brag on your students, right? You want to brag on your learners and the work that they're doing and share that because it allows another teacher that's listening, another principal that's listening to go, yeah, we could do that. And they get to take the first step in their PBL journey. Awesome. Another great place to start on your PBL journey is to bring inquiry into your classroom. It's a great place to start. And we're going to continue this conversation that we're having here in February about inquiry with a guest. So here's Steve Hafner, mentalist, magician, extraordinaire, uh, great speaker. I hope you enjoy the conversation. 
Hey, visionary leaders, we have another leadership guest episode for you. And as I tell you each time, we're going to bring you folks from yes, education, but also business and sports and today the world of magic. So they come from all over so that we can help up your leadership game today. Uh, we've got Steve Hafner with us, and he is currently a magician, a mentalist speaker whose highest level goal is to help people find their new ways to think and make decisions so they can elevate their ability to solve the problems and achieve their goals. You're going to find some words in there that we really appreciate in the project-based learning world. Let me give you one more sentence on him from his bio. He strives to use this unique combination of experiences, education, talents, passions, and crazy ideas to bring a new perspective to thinking and mind performance. So somewhere by the time I've got my watch on today, but I feel like by the end, somehow Steve's going to have it. Hey, Steve, thanks for being on today. Yes. We appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. It's, re it's really good to be here. And, and I wish I could reach through the screen and grab your watch, but I haven't perfected that method yet. So, okay. I, I, I figured by now you'd have that virtual down. I'm, I'm still watching. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my hand on it. So, <laughs> uh, but I love that you're taking this, this kind of segue of humor magic mentalism and then combining that right with a message that moves people right that that creates change so every guest on the the podcast gets the same first question and so that is what is your why for the work that you do yeah well and and you know i have had a couple of major pivots in my careers and each one you know i thought about what is what, why did i do this you know what was it that, that was driving me and of course the biggest one was i had a i had a 30 year corporate IT career, uh, where I was a systems developer and a programmer, and then I moved into management. I was a vice president at one company. Um, and then I quit, just quit my career, walked into my boss's office, said, I'm quitting to become a magician. <laughs> you know, that would be that'd be like if your best spouse comes home one day and says, honey, I quit my job. I'm going to join the circus, you know? Yeah, that's right. I, I, did, I did get a lot of interesting... Uh, uh, responses, you know, when I told people that, um, but you know, the, the, and the reason that I did it is I've always had a very um, creative side. That's always uh, kind of been a big part of me. And I felt at that point in my career, I wasn't enjoying my career as much. I had made a couple pivots inside that, that career. And I, I didn't, wasn't really enjoying it. Plus I really wanted to use my creative talents to make people happy, to, you know, bring some joy to people. So that was my main why for transitioning from the corporate career into my own business as a magician. Yeah. The big ta-da. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah. And then, then I pivoted into speaking from just performing entertainment, you know, magic shows. And so what I discovered when I became a magician was that magic doesn't actually happen in the magician's hands. It happens in the minds of the spectators. It's all, you know, in in the mind. And so as a magician, I had to learn psychology. I had to learn what are the things that are going on in people's heads, what and what are the natural assumptions and misperceptions uh, and distortions that, as a magician, I could tap into and take advantage of to create the perception of magic. Right. right. And it's for in a magic show, it's for everybody's mutual benefit, you know, that I manipulate their thought processes and because everybody wants to have fun and wants it, you know, wants to experience the wonder uh, and the delight of, of magic. So, so I had to learn how people make assumptions, how they process information, how perception works, um, 
I had to learn about cognitive biases and heuristics or mental shortcuts, you know, that can keep us from performing at our best. And, you know, I discovered, hey, these things help people. If they understood these and could learn strategies for overcoming them, that could help them in any area of their life to Mm -hmm. perform better, you know, at work as as professionals, as leaders. Uh, So that's what um, drove me, I guess, to speaking programs rather than just doing entertainment because I thought I could add more value. Um, And there was also a practical reason as well. And that's because a lot of events, have, they all have education budgets, but few have entertainment budgets. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I wanted to be able to reach them as well. So if I have actual content with practical takeaways, bring me in. They they still want it to be entertaining. They just can't call it that, you know. So yeah, well, I so think that, that's, that that that's a line that educators understand, right? You there needs to be some maybe entertainment, but we say engagement, right? There needs to be an engagement value, but there's also some rigorous learning that has to happen, right? Like those things go together well, and you want both of them. You can't just have entertainment and engagement. You know, there needs to be the engaged, the the learning side of things too. So I think that makes sense. I think I'm sure your audience appreciates the, the humor that comes along with the message. As you're talking to businesses and organizations, saw that you, you know, you talk about decision-making and trust, and in mm-hmm. project-based learning, we're building cultures within schools that are, uh, those two words are things that we talk about. We talk about decision-making with learners. We talk about trust within cultures. So as you're using magic and humor to deliver this, it's really a serious message, right? When you're talking about decision and making trust and relationships, sure. like how do you bridge that gap between the magic and the humor with kind of the serious talk? Yeah, well, and I am. Um... Well, you know, if you've ever been to a conference where you're, you're watching a speaker and they are extremely smart, extremely, uh, they're an expert in their field, have a lot of expertise in it, but maybe they're not professional speakers or presenters. And it turns out to be rather dry and, uh, you know, maybe death by PowerPoint. Um, uh-huh. And you have trouble keeping your attention on it, you know. Um, so experts who become speakers have to learn to be more to be engaging and entertaining people like me who came from entertainment have to learn to become subject matter experts, you know, so you have to, you have to have both. And when I'm reaching out and talking to people before I do a program for them, you know, a keynote or, or for them, I always have a conversation about what do their people respond to the most? Do they, they want to be energized and, and, and entertained and have fun, something different from their educational sessions, or are they really more, concerned about the practical takeaways. And then I can adjust the program a little bit in, in whichever way they want that that particular balance to go, you know? Yeah. So what 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 great speakers do is um they engage not just the brain, but the heart as well. And they do that by telling personal stories that people can relate to, right? You know, science shows that that storytelling is is really uh compelling and gets makes messages sticky mm-hmm. so people remember them later so it's you know it's getting to them and making them feel um and get and the more engaged they are then it makes the the message easier to recall so magic works similarly um what what happens so this is interesting uh i didn't know this before i became a magician but what happens when you experience a magic trick it's you experience cognitive dissonance. So that's 
anytime that you experience, you see, or you hear something that doesn't align with what you know about how the world works, mm. you know, so you, you know, that gravity keeps you stuck to the ground. You see a magician levitate and it's like, Ooh, what's going on? What I know and what I just experienced don't match up. And your brain, at least at the subconscious level, wants to resolve that conflict because yeah. it feels that that uncertainty feels unsafe and your brain is focused on keeping you alive, your survival instinct, right? And that's where a lot of these, uh, these hiccups and cognitive biases, you know, that they come from. So when you watch a magic trick, it's really an exercise in problem solving. Your brain is trying to solve that cognitive dissonance mm. Even if you don't want to know how the trick is done because you want to enjoy the the mystery and the wonder of it, your brain still has to try to figure it out at least to some degree and come up short in order for it to feel like magic. Otherwise, it doesn't feel like magic because it could be anything. But once you've thought, well, he couldn't have done this, you know, that, wow, how did it happen? How did it work? And, and then my job as a magician, of course, is to thwart your ability to solve that problem of figuring out how the trick was done. Yeah. Right. So, and and mag- most people love magic. Not everybody does, of course. But um, it's it's interesting because they, they like it and it's fun to experience wonder, you know, for, for most people, the impossible. Um, and And it engages your brain in that way in the trying to solve the cognitive dis- dissonance so your brain's working on the problem that's engagement you know yeah. if you're you're watching a magic trick you're more involved with that cognitively than you are if you're listening to a singer on stage for example yeah you know your, your brain is working more and so that that helps it become more memorable because it's more engaged you know yeah. at that level oh it's so good so oh, and yeah. I was going to say, if I could have the entire audience perform a trick, which I do um, in okay. most of my presentations, then they're really involved. Yeah. And then, yeah, and they're like, how the heck, you know? Um, so that's a lot of fun. And, and you know, humor, I, I, everybody loves to laugh. Everybody, it feels good. And they, if I provide humor and get people laughing, I mean, I'm not a comedian or I'm not even a humorist, but I do have, you know, sprinkle in some funny things in there. I have kind of a dry sense of humor. Everybody loves to laugh. They're going to remember later. Hey, I liked that program. They might not remember a funny, a single funny thing that I did or said. Yeah, but they'll just remember how they felt. Right. Yeah. So, well, I, I think those things are important as you're as you're talking through those, Steve. It's like um, the idea that we're creating this loop that our brains automatically need to close. Right. There's some piece, but the cognitive dissonance of here's the vision, here's where I'm at. Like our brains automatically want to close that. And there's an engaging portion of that. And if I can just connect it in a geeky, geeky way to like our work with project-based learning, we do these things called entry events. And we tell our learners like, hey, here's the really cool stuff that you're about to do. We're going to go out into the real world. We're going to solve this problem. Like there are parents that found out their kid has a genetic disease and you're going to create a pamphlet to put in a doctor's office. And I like you're connecting dots for me. Like you're helping me figure out this cognitive dis- dissonance. And I think what happens, the engagement that happens is that learner is like, man, how am I going to do that? Right? Like that's the question, right? Is they, they start asking, how am I going to do that? And they don't know how yet, but they, they kind of right. lean in a little bit because they're engaged in that cognitive dissonance piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So I don't think I can go tell my wife that I'm going to become a magician. I don't think that's going to go over well, but maybe we can <laughs> take a couple of things that you've learned and, you know, bring it into our schools. 
And one other thing I'd like you to talk about just with your journey is you went from like the corporate gig, which is generally considered, you know, pretty stable, um, to magicians, which might not seem that way. And I think you could argue some of those points, but, uh, were there any voices of doubt as you were taking that leap? And as our visionary leaders, leaders, listen, like we're in, we're taking schools that are doing schools traditionally often, which feels safe and seems appropriate and right, i.e. your W2 gig, right? And we're moving to project-based learning, which seems a little bit different still. Like we're still not the majority as far as an instructional model. So there's a little bit of a leap that's happening here. There's change process. So our leaders sometimes have this, you know, kind of voice of doubt in there. So can you talk through what that looked like for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh- and I sometimes in some of my programs, I actually go through this a little bit, but, you know, I had, um, when I was, when I was young, I was always into creative thing, writing. I used to write short stories and songs and poems and, <laughs> and I loved performing on stage. I would get on all this, you know, all the school plays. I was kind of an introvert, but so that kind of gave me a, an outlet, I guess. Yeah. And um, so I, I always had this creative side, but I got into computer programming so that's where I went with my creativity. Actually, there is a lot of creativity there on that side, but, but, you know, I, I started my career in, in programming because I like puzzles as well. Um, but then after things, you know, after being in there for a while, pivoting into an area, I wasn't really, didn't, didn't feel that comfortable with, didn't like that much. I had picked up the hobby of magic several years earlier and thought, you know, I know there's people making their living doing this. And I thought about it, but every time I thought about it and thought, Hey, maybe I should try to be a magician. I had a voice Mm -hmm. come up and say, are you crazy? You know, what are you thinking? You've got this stable, high paying career and you're going to just give it up to do magic tricks, you know? Um, So it's like, okay, so I put the the fantasy of becoming a magician kind of in the back of my mind, and but then it would keep coming up. Thought, Man, I would love to try that. And I thought, you know, the biggest regret I would have is if I didn't even try it. Mm. So, um, but I had a lot of doubts. I mean, anytime that you're going to make that big of a change away from what you're comfortable with and familiar with into unknown territory, you don't know how it's going to work, <laughs> work out, you know, right. or if it will. Um, you know, um, then it's 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 scary. Our brain doesn't want us to do that because it feels unsafe. So we have to really overcome that resistance and those self doubts, as you mentioned. If if we want to move forward, now we've got to do it in a smart way, right? You don't you don't want to take un, unnecessary or irrational risks, right? Because um, you know, I I had enough money saved up for a cushion if things didn't work out for me at first. So yeah. Um, you know, I had a little, little bit of a safety net, I guess you could say. Sure. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, you know, and the, those those two voices, and it was actually really difficult because the two voices, the one that really wanted me to try this and the one that said it's the dumbest idea ever that we're going at it. And this is, this is kind of odd. I was sitting in my car. I'd driven to work. This time, I, you know, I wasn't thrilled with my job. I was thinking, man, I would love to be, do the magician thing, but that, that struggle was really difficult for me. And I was sitting in my car. I wasn't getting out yet. And a song came on the radio I had never heard before. In fact, I've never heard it on the radio since. That's another weird thing about this. And it's the the lyrics of the song were like they were speaking right to me. 
there, there comes a time when you have to ask yourself, where am I going? What have I done? Am I taking the rules that are, are you taking the rules that you've been given or breaking the rules with your own decisions? Isn't it time you tried? And that just kind of, it was like a tsunami of emotion <laughs> hit me when I heard that at that moment. And I'm yeah. like, I had tears. I'm not, I'm not a crier, honestly, but I had tears. It was, it was a feeling of relief is how I think about it now. Yeah. Relief that I knew what I needed to do, what I wanted to do. And this is the direction I need to go. And um, I don't have to struggle with this anymore because I've made the decision. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for walking us through that, Steve. Because I, I know we've got some leaders that some leaders are like, what's fear? Like, I don't understand the question. You know, when I ask you about this idea of doubt or some voice of fear, like we have those leaders, like totally good with that. Like their fear is that they would be a part of the status quo, right? But we also have some leaders that are coming on that you know, there's a lot of inertia in schools towards traditional teaching and lecturing and because it's just happened for so many years, so many decades. So when you start doing something different, there's a sometimes there's that little bit of doubt, but it's like, grab the vision, go with it. It's freeing once you move that direction, but also do your research. You know, I heard you say that, you know, I didn't just jump, like I did the math, right? Like I was going to get to eat still, right? <laughs> Gave yourself some runway. And there's a lot of ways you can do that in, in schools too. So as our leaders are thinking about this, like we're also building teams because we use teams with our learners. We use teams with our staff. So as you're talking about trust with different groups across the country, like why is trust so important to our teams? Yeah. Um, there's a survey that was done several years ago. Um, that was, uh, well, this, this more speaks to leadership. Like you were saying, uh, it was of human resource professionals. And they, they surveyed 700 of them and they wanted to know what were the most important leadership traits for engaging employees and of course you need to engage your employees you want them to stay right <laughs> you know absolutely. staffing and, and retention you know it, it's a big thing right now and the number one leadership trait that those human resource professionals identified was trust um and it's really it, it was amazing be, um i got into the subject of trust because as I was studying the subconscious mind, it came up over and over again, how our need for survival or survival instinct, the part of our brain trying to keep us alive, is always working in the background. And one of the things it does is it gets us to lean towards mistrust mm. because mistrust feels safer. You know, is it, does it feel safer to trust somebody if you don't know if they're trustworthy? Go ahead and extend some trust or make them earn your trust first before extending trust. Okay. Well, feel safer. You know, I don't know about this person to wait, although that's a huge disadvantage because the benefits of trust are so huge. So, you know, with teams, some of the benefits are speed. Um, in fact, the very first book on trust that I read is called, I got it right in front of me, The Speed of Trust, by Stephen M. R. Covey. Yeah. The more done in less time if you have high trust relationships you know then you can otherwise um communication if you think about you're you have you have to sit in a meeting with a parent or an administrator or a teacher that you know doesn't really trust you or you don't really trust them that's uncomfortable that's stressful nobody looks forward to doing that right 
But if you've got a high trust relationship with the person you're about to have to work it through a problem with, that's that's fun. It makes your job more fun. It's more pleasant. And you can, again, do it faster, get through things because because you don't have the doubt and, you know, the extra red tape that comes with low trust. Um, well, I, and I trust like also. The, the message there, Steve, too, is, you know, as we're doing change process, we're, you know, we're moving things in school systems. Like a lot of our high flying leaders just want to go, like, let's go do this. But it's like, really, you need to wait and establish trust before you start moving or changing things. Right. Cause your initiative is going to move at the speed of trust, whether you want it to or not. I remember I, we had right. uh, somebody who was working on a, a learning management system and they wanted to work it through magnify learning. And we're really careful with those relationships because we really value our partners and the gentleman just said, um, you know, can we just skip like all this get to know you stuff and just jump into the work? It's like, no, no, we right. can't, right? Like this is all going to move at the speed of trust. And I don't know you. It's like, we have to trust before we can move. I have a excellent example of that for my magician days. Yeah. I was, in, have you ever seen a restaurant magician who, strolls the tables while you're waiting for your food to make the time go fast. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was working work, as running a restaurant and I, I approached a table uh, about six adults. And, you know, I said, would you like to see some magic? And the alpha dog of the group apparently uh, spoke up and said, Oh, how much is this going to cost us? And I was like, Oh, it's not going to cost you anything. I said, the, the, the restaurant's actually paying me. So for you, nothing. And he said, Oh, well, you're going to ask for a tip. And I said, well, no, I, I never ask for tips. I never expect any tips. Again, I'm being paid. So it's free to you. And then he turned to somebody and said, yeah, we'll just wait till the end. He's going to try to get some money out of us. And at that point, um, I decided it was a lost cause. <laughs> yeah. Cut my losses. And I said, you know, well, you know, that's fine. Enjoy your meal and hope you come back and see us. So then I went on restaurant magician forums online, you know, every Every group has their own yep. forums online. That's right. I presented a situation. I said, hey, I said, what would you do in a situation like this? And by God, everybody said it was my fault. If you can believe that, the audacity. They said it was my <laughs> That's right. And the reason is just what you were referring to a minute ago is that they said I have to create a connection first before I can't just walk up and launch into a card trick. I have to establish even just a small connection mm. can can build trust and remove mental barriers and obstacles right um so if i had approached the table and said hi i'm steve and and who, what are your names what how what are you celebrating tonight if anything you know how do you get each other maybe mention my kids a little bit even just that little bit of connection yeah and that guy probably wouldn't have been so confrontational with me you know right so, uh, now that's so good. I learned, yeah, that was an important lesson I learned early in my magic career. <laughs> yeah. And, and great lesson for us is as leaders too, right. Is, um, we start all of our meetings. We start, we connect as humans first, right? So even if it's a short two minute protocol, give us a personal professional win. We want to connect as humans before we get into the work. And we find that, you know, those times where it's like, man, we're pretty busy. Should we just skip that protocol? Every time we do that, right, it's we always regret it. It's like we'll even have to stop and say, "Hey, guys, we need to take a break. Let's let's connect as humans again." And that's the wording we'll use, right? Like, let's just connect as humans before we get into the work because humans are more important than the work, right? And 
So I, mm-hmm. that's a great example that can stick with us. Like, uh, I'm sure that's uncomfortable as the, the, the kind of touring magician going around and the uncomfortable guy says, ah, this guy's just trying to get money out of us. That's, that's a great yeah. kind of story we can take with us. Super good. Yeah. Yeah. And I hadn't had that happen before. I had people who declined to watch magic because every now and then you'll find someone sure. who doesn't like magic or whatever, but here now, as far as teams at schools, my, my daughter is a teacher and she's, this is her second second year second full year but when she first graduated and she got out was right after the covid lockdowns it was and she got into this experience her well i and i won't talk about all of the difficulties there were a number of things that just added up but one thing was that she did not get any support from her team the other the other teachers who taught the same grade level they're supposed to be working as a team on the curriculum and and everything, and there was incompetence. They weren't reliable. They weren't willing to work together. They first of all, there were two other ones plus my daughter, and they didn't like each other. It was apparent, and, yeah. and there was no trust there at all. And she got no support, and she ended up having to leave before two weeks was over. Yeah. The good news is she immediately got hired by another school situation was completely different the Mm. team was extremely supportive you know and connected it felt more like a family and there was a lot more trust there and she's been there since and she absolutely loves it so yeah yeah, it it makes a big difference for team right it's a that's the tale of two cities right there it's and the systems that we see that are working really well have that culture of family that really is something they would say like when we see schools um whether they're doing PBL or not, there's a lot of school systems where the staff is family, right? Somebody's sick, like everybody comes around and supports. And it's one of the coolest things I think about the education world is the way that staff can bond together, even if there are some things that they disagree on, right? There's still trust that's built in. Like, I know where you stand. I know that we're all here for the good of kids to provide them great opportunities and that's what the great school systems uh, really provide. And that doesn't happen by by happen chance, right? There's there's leaders that understand that trust and respect are are really important pieces to a culture. So, yeah. Steve, if yeah. we as we're talking to principals and some teachers here, as you look at teams and kind of the magic, the engagement pieces that you have, what are some things that you might suggest to them as they're looking to build trust in classrooms or with with teachers? Yeah. Um, well, one of them is, it's a term, I think I made it up. I, I don't know if anybody's used it before, called preemptive transparency. Ooh. So, and here's how I tie it to magic. You go, okay. because it actually will perform a, a trick on stage. Um, and I get, and it's a rope trick. And I get somebody from the audience up on stage to examine the ropes, make sure they're regular, normal ropes. Anytime a magician gets out of prop, right, whether it's a deck of cards or a big trunk on stage or some ropes, audience is automatically suspicious, right? Because yeah, they know sure. I'm going to lie, I'm a magician. <laughs> so, so they're suspicious about, about, because they have uncertainty about the prop of whether it's real or tricked out in some way. Yeah. And when you have uncertainty, that's when mistrust and suspicion come in, when you have uncertainty. So what I do is I preemptively 
provide that information, that transparency, in that case about the ropes, by having the person, one of them, I call that the trust proxy, come up and examine the ropes, give them the information, hey, these are normal ropes, they don't have that uncertainty, so now that suspicion is gone, at least about the ropes. They still know I'm going to lie, cheat, and steal, but at least they're not suspecting the ropes, (laughs) you know. So, um, you know, how that translates, I, I didn't wait. For somebody in the audience to say, hey, let us see the ropes, you know, yeah, or those good. trick ropes. I anticipated what the objection or the the misperception or the uncertainty. I anticipated yeah. that ahead of time and addressed it right up front. And doesn't give mistrust a chance to take hold and never have that uncertainty. So I think with, um, you know, with principals and staff, if there are things that you know that people may be wondering about, they may be wondering about your, let's say, decision-making. If you make a decision that's going to have a big impact on other people, you need to provide the rationale, especially if the impact is negative. It makes somebody's job harder, for example. If you don't give them the rationale, um, provide that transparency, the mind automatically goes negative. Think, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, there's some other reason they're doing this and, you know, it's just we have a negativity bias. Uh, our brains yeah. are engaged more with negative thoughts than positive ones. So that's the direction it goes when we have uncertainty, more towards negativity. So, you know, that preemptive transparency is, is really important. Um, so, yeah, and involve them in the decision-making. When, when other people, stakeholders are involved in the decision-making, they're likely to buy in to whatever decision you make because they they were involved in the process, even if it's not the decision they would have made, at least they saw how that decision was made, right? And it engages them. And again, engaged employees or employees that are more likely to want to stick around, right? So, um, and and another another thing, and this is no matter who your relationship is with, is congruence, Mm -hmm. being consistent with with your goals and your values, and that of your organization. So your your school or your district, whatever the mission statement is, make sure that what you are doing is aligned with that. Otherwise, people aren't going to trust you. And they're going to think you've got other things that are more important to you than what you say on your mission statement. Right. Right. And, yeah, that's so and, good. Um, that's going to be, yeah. um, I think as, as I'm coaching leaders, I'm going to say, hey, you got to show them the ropes, right? Like, like, like show them the ropes. Like, Tell them why you're making this decision because I mean, leaders have to make hard decisions, right? And not everybody's going to agree with them. It's just something that we do. Mm-hmm. But if, and so some, I've seen this happen where leaders make the decision and they say, all right, well, let's see if anybody complains. Well, let's, let's show them the ropes first, right? Like, let's show them like, this is why, right? Doesn't that get us in, in just kind of a better frame with the folks that we're working with? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, I, I love this. My daughter told me this after she started um, her new school, her good situation there. She, at the beginning, the first day or the first week, she had the, and, and I don't know, maybe this is common among teachers. She she had, she and her students together created a contract for each other. Mm-hmm. And they talked about, here are the things that I expect of you. You know, she would say to them, yep. and list maybe three things. And she asked them, what do you expect of me? What do you want from me? And you know, the number one thing that they wanted, and these 
were, let's see, what grade was it at the time? It was um, fifth grade. She's, she teaches first grade now, but she was fifth grade. And they said, we want you to do what you say you're going to do. Mm, that's good. That was the number one thing. Well, they had had experience um, yeah. with the, their former teacher had, had left. It was, it was a very strange situation, but um, so their trust was already shaken in, in teachers a little bit. So, yeah, so, you know, that was number one in their, in their minds and in their hearts was please, you know, be consistent, do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Oh, that is. It's, I mean, that's what we all want, right? I mean, that's a great definition of integrity really, right? Is that we do what we say we're going to do when we say we're going to do it. And um, absolutely. To- totally appropriate for those learners to ask for that. And then to say, Hey, you know, you, you said, you're going to say you, you're going to do what you said and you said this. And then, you know, your daughter can be like, Oh, you know what? You're right. I messed up. Right. And then, yep. and kids love that. Right. That's that transparency. They do. Yeah. And it's on a big, the contract is at the front of the room, really big and the kids can point to it, you know, and yep. if they think that the teacher is not living up to it. Yep. That's good. Give them some voice and choice. That's that's what we call it in our geeky world. Steve, thank you for coming on and sharing. And uh, uh-oh, uh, I don't know how you did it. <laughs> Man, I wish I had a watch right I, here. I would, we should have planned that ahead of time, Steve. I would love for you to be able to hold yeah. it back up. It'd be so good. Uh, but no, I think we made a lot of great connections um, for our leaders. Um, I, I think I am going to use this term. I'll have to kind of TM it with you. But this idea of show them the ropes, right? Like, let them come up on stage first. Tell them what's really behind everything so we can get people on yeah. the same page. Hey, Steve, we're going to put all your resources in our show notes so people can connect right. with you there. What's the best way for them to just reach out and connect with uh, some of your work, social media or whatever? Yeah, well, go to my website. It's stevehafner.com. And uh, then you can uh, you can reach out to me there. You can um, check out my speaking programs because I do other programs besides just the uh, trust and education, I have problem solving, how to handle the stress from disruptions and the effects that has on our decision-making. Uh, have a newsletter, comes out once a week, just a quick three-minute read with links to interesting articles on performance and decision-making and problem solving and, you know, all those things that I love to talk about. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Steve, for being on. Appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Ryan. Great to talk with you. All right, visionary leaders, you need to show your people the ropes, right? And you've got to be transparent with them. And you take the first step. It starts to show that that's what we do at our school, right? That's what our people do. We, we're transparent with the work that we're doing. And as you do that, you'll see your culture grow and be really positive. And as you do that, you'll engage your learners, tackle boredom, and transform your classrooms. So go lead inspired. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the PBL Simplified Podcast. I appreciate you. I'm honored that you tune in each week. Would you please take two minutes to leave a rating and a review? When you leave a review, it lets the next person know that this is a podcast worth listening to. When they go into their player and search project-based learning and PBL Simplified popped up, when they see those reviews, they know that high-quality visionary leaders are listening. So they tune in too, and they can find their way into the PBL journey. Thank you so much for leaving a review. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you.